Okay, right out of the gates, I gotta be honest. I have a Kohl's charge card. All right, I hate to flaunt my status. That's not why I do this podcast. I don't want to just brag and boast about a lot of the things that I have and maybe you don't have, but I do have a Kohl's charge card. And Kohl's is already a cheap place. But when I walk into Kohl's, I go right to the clearance rack. It looks like a bomb went off. Shirts, pants, everywhere. But for some reason, I don't mind. I like to get a little dirty when I go to the Kohl's clearance rack. And the last time I was there, I bought a sweatshirt for, drum roll please, $4.99. It's 2019, okay? That's not a story from 1986. I bought a sweatshirt at a store in a mall for $4.99. Why do I bring this up? There were no tags on it at all. It's a Levi Strauss sweatshirt that I had seen before, about a year before. I have a good memory when it comes to Kohl's clothing. All right, those fashion designers are working hard, and I respect their work. And occasionally I see something and I go, not today, but maybe in the future. And I saw this Levi Strauss sweatshirt. I liked it. It was a hoodie. Now, fast forward to a few weeks ago. I see it on the clearance rack. And for some reason, it was marked down and marked down until it's like somebody's handwriting on the tag. It was already marked down from the orange little sticky thing on the tag to now it's just somebody's handwriting. And they wrote four ninety nine. <laughs> it's like, where'd you come up with that price? Something had to be wrong with it. I immediately, immediately take it off the rack. Boom, go to the cashier, put it in the bag. I didn't even try it on and I didn't even smell it. Now, fast forward. A couple of weeks ago, I put it on and immediately smell a skunk to the point where I looked outside of my house. I looked outside in the backyard. I was like, okay, clearly there's a skunk in the backyard. And then I looked in the front yard. I looked to see if there's a skunk. And then I looked in the street, expecting to see a dead skunk. And the smell kept following me. And it kept following me. And guess what? Of course you know what I'm about to say. Somebody clearly bought this sweatshirt at full price, this Levi Strauss sweatshirt, and got sprayed by a skunk. And instead of throwing it away, they put it back in the Kohl's bag with the receipt, brought it right to the cashier and said, you know something? This sweatshirt's not working for me. And the Kohl's employees laugh and they throw it back on the rack and they have Jimmy, the old cashier, write $4.99 in his shaky handwriting. And then I come in and I go, it's my lucky day. Here's the weirdest part of the story. I'm going to keep wearing this sweatshirt. It smells terrible. I've put it through the wash already. Nothing is changing. But I realize skunk is not the worst smell. Skunk might be up there with like gasoline, nail polish remover, the weird smells that we're not supposed to like, but we kind of like. There's a long list of weird smells that we know we're not supposed to like. We know we're not even supposed to inhale, but we kind of like them. Everybody has theirs. Everybody has theirs. Puppy breath. That's an obvious one. Hotel towels, that weird detergent they use. All hotel towels smell the same. You can't buy that detergent for your home. But that smell is wonderful. Love it. Love chlorine pools, especially indoor pools. Indoor chlorine pools. Mm, give me that. Give me that. Give me that. A lot of unique smells that you just recognize immediately because they're so rare. Burning hair. Not the worst. I know a lot of people go, ew, burning hair. I go, yeah, it's okay. I'm not going to be wearing a skunky sweatshirt. I have to be the guy that also defends burning hair and nail polish remover, and gasoline. Oh, gasoline's the best. But not when it gets on your hand. 
Like when it gets on the floor or if it gets on the side of your car, that's okay. But if it gets on your hand and you smell it, that's bad. That's the bad gasoline where you go, all right, I don't think hand sanitizer is going to work, but I'll just go about my day. Why does that happen to me so often? Why do I get gasoline on my hand when I pump at the gas station? It's as if nobody properly taught me how to use the pumps. Put that on a long list of things that nobody properly taught me how to do, so I'm kind of doing them wrong. You kind of do it your own way. That's another long list of things that you know you do improperly, but still gets the job done, right? I had a friend tell me I put on shirts incorrectly. I go for both arms at the same time. Is that not correct? Just throw on both arms through the holes at the same exact time. I ain't here to waste any time. It's a weird example. All right, where were we? Oh yeah, I think it's time we finally talk about this. Holy shit, have we messed up this earth. Haven't we? Anybody who's going to try to combat this idea that we human beings have completely screwed up this earth, they're going to tell me things like, yeah, but what about all the tech advancements? And what about modern medicine? And you could have all of those really wonderful strong points in your side of the debate. And I'll bring those up as well. But let's really think about this for a moment. What is earth? Just land masses and water. Okay, and then we, inexplicably, humans with consciousness, were roaming around for many years. We're just roaming around. We think we have direction. We think we have intent. Let's be honest. We're just roaming around aimlessly. We're playing the game, playing the game of life. Some of us succeed. Some of us don't, but we're all playing the same game. It's called life on earth. Earthlings unite. Now, just think about all the things for a moment, all the things that we've done, man-made creations that have completely fucked everything up. If it's a natural evolution of what humans were going to do anyways, as if there's a higher power and already gave the instructions down to the earliest civilizations that said, all right, here's what you guys got to do. Now create weapons. Let me start there. I'll just start there for a moment. All right, a rock is just a rock. Humans turned rocks into a weapon. All right, a stick, it's just a stick. Humans sharpened those sticks, turned them into spears. Now you got a weapon. All right, and we humans also invented steel and gunpowder and all these natural resources that chemists can tell me how they became materials and then goods and supplies and then weapons. And why do we keep creating weapons? It's because we kept disliking the others. Oh, they don't look like us. Well, they have different religion. They have different beliefs. They live elsewhere. This is my territory. That's their territory. Let's fight. So I guess fighting is just embedded into the human condition. Okay. So we kept inventing better weapons and better weapons and better weapons. And now you see, we live in a world where there are truly weapons of mass destruction. I think like we all know, there can never be a World War III because then we already have weapons that could just annihilate us all. Goodbye. Adios. So clearly weapons could end human lives. Humans, over the course of many, many years, created weapons to end lives earlier. What else have we created that could end lives earlier? Well, car crashes exist. Car crashes exist because of cars. Train crashes, those happen sometimes. Why? Humans invented trains. I realize you probably have the opposite point. You're probably thinking, well, yeah, to transport things. But don't get so smart. 
Don't get so smart. Just listen to all these things that we created. We created planes. Isn't that great? Travel. Isn't that great? Yeah, we got some plane crashes. Not a lot of them, but we still do. So all of our modes of transportation where we deep down think we're so smart, they also kill a lot of us off. There's probably bike accidents, skateboard accidents that just kill a bunch of people throughout the world every day. Man-made inventions, man-made creations. We think we're so smart. Really, we're just decreasing the population here and there. What else? The foods we eat. We invented processed foods and preservatives and Lunchables and Dunkaroos and Capri Suns and Squeeze-Its and American cheese. Things that are probably half plastic, half edible. We just shove it into our bodies. That's why there's such a movement now for like organic, clean, nutritious eating. Because with the rise of corporate farms and grocery store companies taking over, it's very difficult to eat from our earth. I now go to the farmer's market on Sundays. I go to the farmer's market and I see a different crowd of people. These aren't the Safeway, Trader Joe's, Smart and Final Food for Less crew. These people really want to get back to a different time where you just eat from the earth. Well, most people don't do that. Most people are at the drive-thru. Or most people are still just getting a bunch of stuff with preservatives and processed food that will clearly kill us and cause plenty of diseases. So the way we eat, humans have evolved that in a pretty negative direction. Unless you try really, really, really hard to eat well. So how many things have humans created that can kill us? Huge list. We created... Sports like boxing, MMA, UFC, all sorts of wrestling, karate, kung fu, just combat sports. We like to fight. We like concussions. Humans created tackle football and rugby. We like to slam our skulls against one another. It's amazing how little we've evolved, right? We always think, oh, medieval. Medieval sports and wars and battles. You watch Game of Thrones or movies like Braveheart and you go, oh, what a barbaric way of fighting. Aren't we still kind of like that? Aren't we still those people, but now we just do it differently? How many more things should be on this list? Things that we, human beings, have created that can kill us. Cell phones. What are we really doing? We're emitting rays of something into our brains. And when we put them in our pockets, what's happening there? Fellas, we're clearly hurting our sperm count, right? You just have an electronic device down there all day. It's probably hurting something. Sometimes the studies come out after the fact that we've done irreversible damage. Stress. There was a recent study that America of all developed nations is now not having the longest lifespans. Life expectancy is now going in the opposite direction. We're not creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. We're kind of plateauing and going down again because of stress. I don't know if it's our system of education, our system of capitalism, our system of sending everybody into debt, 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 loans and loans and loans, our system of climbing up corporate ladders and continually trying to make a buck. But there's so much stress. The world of consumerism making us feel like we always need the next best thing. The level of stress that most people endure and experience, in a way, you could say that's man-made as well. It's going to kill us. Just being realistic right now. I'm not even being pessimistic. This, this rant, whatever this is, it's not intended to be negative. I'm just pointing this out. All of the many things humans have created throughout the history of the world that are just going to kill us. Now, try to hop on the other fence of this debate. How many things have humans created 
that could save us or that could extend our lives. All the many things at CVS, right? All the great pills and the quills and the herbs and the supplements and whatever the pharmacists are giving us with our prescriptions. It's all great. Modern medicine, doctors, vaccines, prosthetics, new surgeries and operations on our body parts that are going to extend our lives. All good. All good. Okay. What else? I don't know. The master plan, though. If there is a master plan, it has to be that humans are just going to mess everything up. It's almost comforting to feel that way. Otherwise, you look back and you go, why did we make so many mistakes? Study history. Study any wars and battles. Study any conflicts. Study any segregation or oppression. People being marginalized for the color of their skin, for their faith, for their gender. Just go back and study all of it. Ask the question, could it have been different from the jump, from the get-go? Could we humans have done a better job? It's too easy to just say, yes, of course. It's too easy. Yes, of course, we could have done a better job. Whereas perhaps, maybe, this is just what was supposed to happen. Endless fighting, endless wars, endless groups hating other groups, hurting other groups, killing other groups. And now here in modern times, the only reason I call it modern times is because I'm currently living in it. I get to look back and go, oh, wow, wish that was different. Well, wish those people were treated differently. Man, I really would have liked to see less bombings, less massacres. Would have been nice if we were able to do that. That way of thinking, it's so pointless. It's so hopeless because we're currently still doing the same things throughout the world right now. There's still attempts at genocide in the future. There's going to be as well. Yeah, you can't take a history class and get to the end of the unit, the end of the area of study and go, well, it's a good thing that was all resolved. No, it just repeats itself and repeats itself. And they always say, why do you have to study history so you don't repeat it? So you don't repeat it. Who's really learning that lesson? It's being repeated a lot of the time. I don't mean to be cynical, but the world is so clearly imperfect in so many regions that if you allow that to feel like a weight on your back, it's too upsetting. Look how people communicate with each other on message boards, just disagreeing with everything. Get into a good old-fashioned Democrats and Republicans conversation with someone. It's a good way to spend a day, right? Go ahead. Talk about Trump's policies with somebody. There's never going to be common ground. People that don't understand one another's perspective, there's never going to be an aha moment. Well, you know what? I came into this conversation truly disliking Trump, but after speaking with you, I like him. That's never happened in the history of a conversation about a president. Most people, they're in their corner and they stay there for life. How many homophobic people are actually cured? How many racist people are actually cured? How many anti-Semitic people are actually cured? And when I say cured, I mean just like wake up one day and go, wow, my thinking is wrong. Hey, maybe one out of a thousand. And if you go, well, you got to educate those people. You got to educate those people. It's a hopeful way of thinking. Sounds good, right? Educate the ignorant. Educate the uninformed, the misinformed, the naive. Sounds too tough. Gotta just try to influence the sphere around you. There it is. I finally got to a point. All you can do in your short little lifespan is just try to influence, positively influence those around you. And if you could do that, boom, you did your part. You did your part. But if you look back in the history of the human race, you go, oh, it's all too messed up. We, we dug a bit of a hole. And I didn't even mention global warming. Didn't even Google global warming and then mention it for you. 
Didn't even mention anything environmentally of how humans have just messed this planet up. And now it looks irreparable. The damage looks irreparable all across the globe. This just became the world's most cynical podcast. And I'm not even in a bad mood. I'm actually feeling good. I don't know why I went down that path, but something got to me. Ask yourself this question. What percentage of Americans are just nice people? More than 50, you think? I think less. I think 44% of people in this country are nice. There's some in the middle, some in the gray area that are just like neutral, not nice, not mean. And then a good percentage of people that are just the worst. How do I know this? Wherever you work, think about, are most of the people friendly or in that middle area? Or do you work in a place with a bunch of jerks? What about your family? Most people nice or most people jerks or middle area? I'm reading the Michelle Obama book right now. It's called Becoming. It's a memoir. I'm finally past the halfway point. I don't know why I'm reading this so slowly. It just puts me to sleep. But I'm not insulting the book. It's a really well-written book, but I only get through a few paragraphs before I am sound asleep. However, I got to the part where Barack's rise throughout his campaign, going city to city, state to state, throughout the country, shaking hands, has created fame for Michelle and their two kids, Sasha and Malia. That's the most interesting part. You can learn about Barack. You can read about Barack. You can check out his books. But Michelle's story is interesting because nobody grows up and says, I'd like to be a first lady. Usually that starts with you fall in love with somebody and then he, because we haven't had a she yet, he wants to become president and you go, all right, we're married. I guess that's my path to, to support one another. But you don't really get the sense early on in their relationship or even really throughout his days as a senator, that she was so stoked about being in the spotlight, that she was just eager to grab that fame. And that's a high level of fame. That's the type of fame where you can't go outside. Michelle Obama can't just go to Wendy's and get a baked potato and chili, which are actually decent menu items at Wendy's. She can't. She can't. That whole ordeal would take too long. Shaking hands, taking pictures, signing autographs. So she's reached this level of fame because the man she married wanted to become president. And it happened. She even says, right before he was elected, she says, had he lost that initial election to John McCain and Sarah Palin, she said, I would have been okay just going back to our previous life. It wasn't like she was desperately seeking the Oval Office as a way to validate her life. But once she got there, turns out she was phenomenal. But rewind a little bit, going from a life of anonymity to a life of extreme fame and realizing every single thing you say will be scrutinized by a large percentage of people that simply hate you because maybe you're a Democrat or maybe you're an African-American. But now every day of her life, she's exposed to those people. You can't hide. If anything, you do the opposite of hiding. You give giant speeches. You show up to appearances. You're in the spotlight. So her whole existence, reading somebody's memoir before they're famous, the only reason it's interesting is because they got famous. You know, Michelle now writes about her story of taking piano lessons from an aunt or the little apartment she grew up in or her relationship with her brother. All things that don't exactly matter, but because we all know we're reading Michelle Obama's book, then it becomes a little more exciting. You go, okay, what created the fabric of her character? You know, what was her upbringing like? What was her education like? What was her early courtship with Barack like? Becomes interesting. And it all feels kind of organic, like a natural path she's on. You read a president's memoir, 
Then it's, you know, the changes they wanted to make, the vision they had, save the country. But Michelle kind of stumbled into it, fell in love with a guy named Barack. That's probably the best part of the book. The true love that they shared as she describes how cool he is. Who's cooler than Barack? Nobody. That's the answer to that question. Nobody. And she describes him perfectly. Young Barack. Just intellectual, smooth, charismatic, all the things that most people know. See, personality goes a long way. Even for the people that didn't like him as a president, his policies. Don't you still have to admit that he was pretty cool? And even, like I said, with Trump, even his supporters who like his policies, don't you have to admit he's an idiot? Like just listening to him is difficult? I'm clearly projecting a bias right now, but I think we could all agree on cool. Arthur Fonzarelli? Cool. LeBron James? Cool. You could hate the Lakers, but you got to admit, LeBron's cool. Brad Pitt? Cool, motherfucker. Cool is universally viewed, right? Cool is universally agreed upon. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But Barack was cool. And Michelle captures that in the book. And guess what? She's even cooler. That's what the book is teaching me. She's even cooler. She realized, you know, he's not going to be home a lot. He's campaigning. He's a politician. He's shaking hands. He's networking. He's raising money. He's trying to save the world. So she said, we're not going to wait up for him. He could chase us. Talking about raising two little girls. He could try to find us. We're going to have a fine life. So even though they looked so unified in public, this book kind of talks about how difficult it is to be married to a president. It sounds awful, actually. It actually sounds terrible to try to maintain a marriage and any semblance of normalcy for a family and, oh yeah, be the most famous faces in the country. That'd be like a Twilight Zone. And it happened so quickly, it probably felt like a Twilight Zone. Like she looked in the mirror and she just saw Michelle. Then soon she looked in the mirror and she had to admit, okay, Yeah, I'm very famous. Very. All right, here's how we're going to wrap it up. Have had many realizations that things I grew up with that were so cool just aren't anymore. One of the greatest things I grew up with, or just I grew up loving, were the Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters. You kidding me? I've seen them live a few times, and I do have a pretty good story about my own experience with the Globetrotters. I'll get to that in a moment. But... Today I was teaching about the Cold War tension between the Americans and the Russians, the U.S. and Soviets in the 50s, right after World War II. And ESPN 30 for 30, they did a short called From Harlem with Love. And it's the story of how Abe Saperstein was able to go to Moscow with the Globetrotters. Abe Saperstein, the creator, the owner of the Globetrotters, he was able to organize a trip for his team to play nine games. They brought their opponents. Their opponents were the Chinese basketeers of San Francisco was not the Washington generals. So this is 1959 and I'm teaching this to my students. And I said, raise your hand. If you've heard of the Globetrotters, I'd say 40% of the class raises their hand. I go, wow. And now raise your hand of the 40%. If you've ever seen them, it dwindles to a couple of hands up. And then I said, raise your hand. If you like the Harlem Globetrotters and there was not a hand up anymore. They're just like, yeah, I guess I've seen it. Silly basketball, comedy basketball. The athleticism is so insanely great. You know, the dunks, the passes, the comedy. It never got old to me. Even though it was the same jokes, the same hijinks. Clowning the refs, roasting the crowd. It's great. And it's so unpopular now. It'll probably be extinct soon. Maybe it is. Maybe I should Google that. Maybe the Globetrotters don't even exist. But at one point, they were big. Why were they so big? Because racism that's right the nba 
had a quote of most teams because of racism and segregation. Most teams were all white. Early NBA of the 1950s, all white. And by 1959, there were five black players in the NBA. Oh, how times have changed. So where did a lot of these players go? The Globetrotters, including a guy named Wilt Chamberlain. You know, one of the top five greatest players of all time. Wilt, coming out of the University of Kansas, couldn't play in the NBA. So Abe Saperstein was like, yeah, we'll take him. We'll take the Big Dipper. And this team goes over to Moscow at a time when tensions are at a high level. High level. In this little short, it's only like 10 minutes, this ESPN documentary, it captures everything. They interview the guys who are still alive from the trip. They talk about meeting Nikita Khrushchev. They talk about how they had to warm up the crowd because nobody was laughing at first. They said they had to do the whole game for the government because the government might want to censor some of their hijinks and jokes. They talked about receiving a Lenin Medal of Honor for playing basketball. They receive a Lenin Medal of Honor and it kind of eased Cold War tensions. A lot of the Soviets who used the propaganda that America treats black people so poorly. What an awful country. You know, anti-American propaganda to say African-Americans. They're treated awfully in the USA. And then Will Chamberlain comes over and he goes, actually, I got a big old house. I got a nice car. A lot of women. It's not so bad. And that was influential. A lot of people throughout the Soviet Union. This was like their first interaction with real black people. In the documentary, they say they even would like wipe our face. Some of the fans would want to touch our face and see if it came off as if it was black paint. Homogenous Russia, seeing the Globetrotters. And then the movie kind of turns the corner where they unified and they shook hands and Wilt Chamberlain had drinking contests, drinking vodka with all these Russian officials in the hotel and how they were buying their fur coats and eating caviar and they had a blast. And Nikita Khrushchev's son was interviewed in the documentary and he goes, you know, we're all human beings. So when you're isolated and you just hear things about another group and you're taught to hate, it works. It's very easy to teach hate and learn hate. It's very tough to teach love, really difficult to teach love. The only way to do it is expose yourself to the people that you were taught to hate. Anybody that's taught to hate gay people, go hang out with some gay people. You might realize, oh, we're all humans. Anybody that's taught to hate Jews, hang out with some Jews. You might realize those are humans. If you're taught to hate black people, meet some. If you're taught to hate Americans during the Cold War, go see some. Go see some play basketball. So the whole thing had a really nice moral at the end. Moral of the story. Human beings, when they care to break away from some of the negativity they're taught, when they care to break away from some of the destructive indoctrination that they're exposed to throughout their lives, it can work. It can work for the better. It can create major positives. All right, so I'll end with this. Speaking of the Globetrotters, in 2006, I was doing a radio show in San Diego, and the Globetrotters were playing at the San Diego Sports Arena, and Curly Neal, the legendary Curly Neal, he was promoting the game, and you're talking about a great promoter. He had the Abe Saperstein gene, where he knows how to get people in the seats. It's all personality. People like laughing. People like athleticism. People like kindness. Everything the Globetrotters are. And Curly Neal, you know he's going on all the radio shows, doing his shtick. And when he came on my show, just joking around, he said, what about you? And he throws me a basketball, throws me a headband also. The red, white, and blue classic Globetrotters headband. And I start spinning the ball on my finger and he goes, ooh, woo. I'm going to call you the magician. He just said that. 
you know, just off the cuff. I was like, yeah, the magician. I like that. He goes, you could come out and play. And I laugh it off. We go to break. And then at the break, he was dead serious. He goes, you want to play? I was like, what? Like the golden ticket. He goes, yeah, I'll set this up. You come to the arena tonight, get there early. You'll play for the Washington Generals. Exchanged information with Curly Neal's peeps. He was rolling deep, had an entourage. One of the coolest guys you'll ever meet. I said, hell yes. Not just yes, but hell yes. So that night, went with my producer to the old sports arena, got there early. I think I was the first person at the arena besides the security guards. Just had to warm up, had to stretch. Like it really meant something, like the scouts were coming. But I went in and I met the head coach of the generals, met some of the Globetrotters before the game, but they kind of kept to themselves in the other locker room. And this is where the Clippers used to play. So it's just one of those classic old arenas that smells like an old roller skating rink. It's a good smell. That's another one of those smells where you're like, I don't know if I should like this. You know, like smells like popcorn on the walls and Slurpees and just a thin layer of barf in the corners. Just a thin layer of barf. So when I go in the Washington Generals locker room, these guys look depressed, not just because they're hired to lose every game, but the life on the road, it's just exhausting. They made something really fun look really mundane. Coach was a nice guy. I think they're all former college players. And I'm just the classic, hey, this guy got the golden ticket. Let's give him a jersey. Let's make him feel like he's special. They've gone through the motions. Probably in every city, they give a radio host an opportunity to play. And they had my uniform, double zero generals, green and yellow, put it on. And then the coach actually talks to the team. He goes, I need some energy tonight. I need you guys to run. And he has like a few plays. And I'm like, wait, I should listen up. He actually has plays. Am I actually playing? No one's truly communicating with me at that point. But the coach is talking about, you know, last week when we were in Reno, it was embarrassing what happened. We need to come out there with some energy and run our offense. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on. Isn't this a scripted game? What is he talking to the generals like they got to step up their game and beat the Globetrotters? And then see the guy start stretching. You could see the friendships. They're listening to music. And then we come out on the court for warm-ups. And there's like 10,000 people there. So this is clearly one of those moments that doesn't feel like real life. It was all a dream, said your friend Christopher Wallace. I used to read Word Up magazine. So come out for warm-ups, and at this point, I still have no clue what I'm doing. Pretending I'm Sharunas Marshallonas, of course, and all those people are there for me. You know, you got to bring your mindset to a weird level of warped reality when something like this happens. And then some of the guys realize, all right, this guy's lost, nervous. And some of the nice guys on the generals were telling me, all right, just relax. You know, we'll let you know what to do as the game goes. And at one point, it's all scripted. Skyscraper, who's the big guy for the Globetrotters, he has a little Britney Spears microphone, so he's making the crowd laugh the whole game. And they finally check me in, maybe in the second quarter, and the PA announcer knows what to say. Hey, everybody, welcome from Extra Sports 1360, your new point guard. Josh Rosenberg. And at that point, the Globetrotters just tackled me violently, a little more violently than I had anticipated. And the ref says, hey, get off of him. And it's a foul. One of the guys, no joke, slammed my elbow into the court. And then he whispered, are you okay? (laughs) And I wasn't. He knew he got me pretty bad. And they called a foul. So I go to the free throw line for two free throws. I go one for two. And then Skyscraper just starts making fun of me. Look how short I am. Look how terrible I am. Look how ugly I am. And the crowd loves it laughing. And I'm thinking, this is special. And then they give me one chance to shoot a three. 
And of course, I bricked that three so bad. It was from 40 feet out. I sent up a prayer, and that's when they checked me out of the game. And as Skyscraper, this big six foot ten center for the Globetrotters, is walking me back to the bench, he's just destroying me. I mean, this is like better than a Comedy Central roast. And then he even takes his mic down and whispers to me, is this too much? Are we going too far? And I just said, no, it's all good. Because he was <laughs> saying all sorts of shit to me in front of 10,000 people. And I realized, oh, okay, that's what I signed up for. If you're not with the Globetrotters, you're against them. And kids, if you're not into the Globetrotters, you're missing out. Because that's still the best form of entertainment. Google it. Look it up on YouTube. There's probably an app to check out old nostalgic basketball featuring Curly Neal. All right, that'll do it. It's episode 57. I appreciate you tuning in. Leave a rating on iTunes if you don't mind. If not, that's fine too. I know you're busy. All right, I'll talk to you soon.